you're listening to episode number four of the Attitude Era podcast. We're going to look at King of the Ring 1998, one of the all-time classics. I am Kevin Mann, your host, and as always, joined by Mr. Adam Bibolo. Hello. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. I've got a little bit of a cold, so I'm a little bit sniffly, but hopefully it won't affect us too much today. I don't want to sound like McFoley on the ECW documentary where he's talking to the bunged up Mosey the entire night. Yeah, you're very worried that people aren't going to get that reference. But I hope people will get that hardcore reference. <laughs> most, most people have got the ECW Rise and Fall of DVD. Mick Foley has got a bit of a gungy nose. A lot of guys it. clashed heads with Paul Heyman during that time. Yeah, a lot of liberals are Okay. Uh, and also, uh, the man with a broken leg and he's too sweet to be sour, it's Mr. Billy Keeble. Hello, Billy. Hello. Uh, this episode has been delayed. Quite because, a lot. Quite a lot, mainly yeah. because uh, you lost your smile. Sorry, yeah. leg. Yeah. Of your smile, yeah, because of his damn selfishness. You're just too damn selfish, Billy, and that's why we've had to delay the podcast, and that's why I kicked your leg out of your leg. <laughs> I-, I had surgery. <laughs> you know, people, people come up to me and they say, Billy... You know, you don't seem to leg anymore, because <laughs> somewhere along the way I lost my leg. <laughs> How you doing, Billy? You better yeah, know. yeah, not bad. Had, had my surgery because uh, because of me walking around on it, like it wasn't broken for 24 hours. Managed to shunt the bone and had to have pins put in, so... No matter who you are, whatever you do, please don't try this at home. As a result, Billy has had surgery five times in his left knee. <laughs> In my knee. <laughs> uh, so you're you're be- Are you better now? Yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, as far as I can tell, I'm better. I've just got a really itchy cast. That's the that's the, the worst of my troubles at the moment. Oh, that's not so bad. Well, there you go. That explains the inexplicable absence. I hope at least. And now it's time to get settled in, psyched up, because you're listening to the Attitude Era podcast, and it's time for King of the Ring 1998. The premonition. This cane is your destiny. A first blood match. The prophecy. No force on earth can stop destiny. Not even Stone Cold Steve Austin. The Book of 316. I've bled before. I ain't afraid to bleed again. Your big dead ass belongs to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Revelation. If he does not become the World Wrestling Federation champion, God in heaven. I mean, come on! This is like getting it, more Week by dangerous. week, this gets more and more out of hand now. That <laughs> is ridiculous. insane. Like, Have mercy on their souls. Good God in heaven. I mean, even Freddie Blassie, he's like a thousand years old, <laughs> and he's like, I don't know what this is. Shut up and read it! Like, it's oh, so... yeah. And that guitar in the background as well, that badass wailing. <laughs> 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 
my uh, my favourite line in that is the sins of mankind. <laughs> See what you did there. Little shot of mankind. <laughs> That's a lot more uh, intimidating than the sins of dude love. A <laughs> superstar who will undertake this challenge. Uh, we also you had the book of 316 from Freddie Blassie, master of scripture. Did you notice how they talk a great deal about the first blood match and the Hell in a Cell match? Mm -hmm. What is the name of this pay-per-view? King of the Ring. Did yeah. they once mention the King of the Ring tournament in no. the opening promo? No. I, I think that's that's people always like talk about how much they miss the King of the Ring. I think this is the first time, this is the first example of the tournament literally being a complete afterthought. Yeah. Even during the build-up, and we had a pretty decent, you know, brackets with a lot of star power in the tournament itself. We weren't really focused, it seems, no on it. That being said, though, and this is something which, which will shock a lot of people, I mean, the, the big match everyone talks about this, and we'll get to later, Hell in a Cell, McFoley and uh, The Undertaker, was only announced the week before the pay-per-view went Oh, really? Together. So, I mean, in terms of bills, this pay-per-view was a little bit lacking, but yeah, the emphasis not being on the King of the Ring does kind of bother me a little bit. I like how, after the promo, we have, once again, the recurring theme on all the pay-per-views here. Straight after you have that epic, big, scary-ass promo, it goes, And now. Super Soaker presents the 1998 King of the Ring. Super Soaker brings you the choice of sponsors are always amazing in this period. We also have an amazing Jerry line before, even before the first match. Just, oh just a Jerry just saying it's a win-win situation as far as I'm concerned. Either we get a new WWF champion tonight, or we get to see a guy get set on fire. It's great either way. I love that the, the first thing you see when this pay-per-view begins is you cut to ringside and it's Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross surrounded by gasoline canisters. <laughs> Big red gas I wonder canisters. what's going on here. I don't so, remember this from King of the Ring. Yeah, so basically Kane has promised tonight that if he doesn't win the WWF Championship, I will set myself on fire. Will this be like an Unforgiven where he's just going to cover himself in like a big paper mache cane suit or something and set himself on fire? Just going to be like a big body cast just walking around. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's obvious that there's there's a lot going on here and the yeah. crowd are fucking psyched. It's uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, great crowd in the igloo, sold out, which is something which I find myself saying a lot during this podcast. Mm. Nearly all the pay-per-views are always sold out, even if they are with ambivalent fans like an Unforgiven yeah. but you know that's a really good sign of how hot the decent buy rates yeah. yeah definitely so we kick it off with our first contest of the evening and it's the very unlikely team of the Headbangers and Takamichinoku taking on Kai and Tai which is Funaki, Togo and Taito sorry Teo <laughs> Tato. 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 Uh, so Tato walkers to the ring and <laughs> first thing to know this is that uh, Taka comes out he's kind of got his robe on like it's a lingerie contest you yeah. know? but he's, he reveals that he's got a headbanger's looks dress ridiculous on. Ge Jerry's outfit. not a fan Oh, well, of, of, of Taka. Uh, not just of Taka, but what Taka's wearing. Even though the headbangers are wearing the exact same in-ring attire, he takes real umbrage with the fact that Taka's wearing a dress. Give it him! He's, on, he's become a headbanger for the night! Takamichi no clue! He's got a skirt on! Well, so to Thrasher Moss. This is one of the biggest things I noticed about this match is that Jerry just refuses to put Taka over in any sense. Well, whatsoever. he's had the problem before, obviously, with the racial thing, which we've, yeah. we've more or less established that we've he's covered got, that. Yeah. He's got he's got a problem on that front. But yeah, it's the long-standing wrestling thing. Going back to, to Roddy Piper, or even before that, with you know Gorgeous George and stuff. If you're a wrestler wearing a dress. Someone on commentary has to uh, run you down. But Mosh and Frasher are wearing the same thing as him. 
But they're they're alternative, mate. Yeah, yeah but they're white. I'm kind of so, so, so it's all right. So it's all right for, for them to wear dresses because they're white. I'm kind of uh, before we get into the match, I'm a little bit miffed because um, Taka obviously had this very long running feud with with Kai and Tai, but the Headbangers hadn't even really been on TV like you know for a long, long time. Even since WrestleMania, they just weren't there. And Val Venus, who had just debuted, I, I said previous month, mm. he had just been in that big feud with with Kai and Tai with the yeah. choppy chop, the pee pee angle, oh, that, yeah. which is where Val seduced Mr. Yamagachi's wife, and in retaliation. They whipped his knob off with swords, <laughs> but thankfully, due to a last minute, bit, last minute bit of shrinkage due to a cold butcher's block, Val's manhood was intact. Clearly, though, he was fine with it because he didn't want any part of Kaintai at the pay per view. <laughs> yeah, apparently, it's, it's strange though because like, before the match even starts, we're told that this is the first of two bonus matches. You can tell. What? That yeah. it's just, just thrown together. Like, yeah, just, yeah, you can tell it's being thrown together. It just does minute. the headbangers and, and Michinoku together. Mm. So strange. I'd never put it together. Yeah, I mean, we get a you know, nice quick action here. I mean, obviously, with the exception of the headbangers, we've got four incredibly fast-paced technical wrestlers. And, you know, every time we've seen them on the podcast, uh, Kai and Tai, uh, particularly Togo, uh, when he works with Taka, it's just bloody incredible. And straight away, you got Taka doing a big dive to the outside. I'll tell you who I uh, actually thought was amazing in this match as well was Funaki. His selling. <laughs> yeah. You've seen the yeah. way he sells. He's like a cross between Dolph Ziggler and Ric Flair. He's absolutely perfect. He's it's like a cool. They, character. They make the headbangers look so much better cause, than most people do. Because like, the headbangers usually were in matches with people like the New Age Outlaws or the Nation or something like that. And they're not guys who are going to bounce around the ring. Yeah. Kai and Tai, much like Bradshaw the, the month before, they just make people look good Um, I think it's pretty amazing though that Funaki all the credit you give him makes a very big no-no early on the match when he gives uh, Taka Michinoku the fingers as in he flips from the birds that's not your gimmick Funaki (laughs) I'm pretty sure he got a bit of a stern talking to backstage uh, straight after that um, Jerry the King Lawler then at one point gets sidetracked and uh, they start talking about where the pay-per-view is being at Played and he says at one point, "Hello to my minions in the UK." Brilliant. So there you go, guys. Absolute brilliant. Because uh, uh, yeah, he's making a point that he's a monarch, isn't he? He's the king, and England love the monarchy and everything. So he's calling the British fans his minions because he's the king. Which yeah. nice for me. Do you uh, get it? Uh, yeah, I, I he's a king. I finally get to sit back here, safe in the knowledge that you two are in the realm of Jerry the King Law. <laughs> where, for me, I'm just with the Ordre Seamus, yeah. you know, which is which is fine. Um, yeah, so I get a lot of fast-paced action. Kai and Tai and Taka handling the bulk of the, the action, obviously. Uh, headbangers don't really do a halt on this. But Taka hits the Michinoku uh, driver on Funaki, and the Taka bangers win. Fun nice, match. Nice match. Good yeah, fun. Nice, nice short fun match. Uh, That's how you start a pay-per-view properly, I think. Yeah. Nice, fun, fast-paced good match that, very quick. before we'd been getting a lot of these very slow drawn out matches yeah. to open up yeah. this quick little five minute match everyone's flying around the ring everyone's in the good it was, uh, it was good to hear as well that there were so few references to the fact that there are Japanese people in the ring like there were last time I mean I suppose he hasn't say much because the announcers are so distracted by Kane's pledge to set yeah, himself on they keep fire. making a very big deal of this. Yeah. And it's quite funny that at the start of the night, this is they were thinking, this is what everyone's going to be talking about. But obviously, I don't think anyone even remembers these days that Kane said he was going to set himself yeah, on no. fire. True. The so, bigger, th- bigger things happen here. A lot that. of wasted words. But um, of course, after that incredible opening match, you know, get us all hyped up for the rest of the pay-per-view, we go into a completely different segment altogether. Of course, because after leaving the WWF forever because of Mark Merrill's chicanery, 
Sable came back after one week. Yeah. <laughs> one week. <laughs> one week. And the week she was gone, right? The week she was gone, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler had this segment on Raw where they're like, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, like tragedy struck the World Wrestling Federation <laughs> last night as Mark Merrow callously made Sable leave the door. They were talking like she had died. Jesus. And then they played this, like, tell me a lie kind of video package for uh. Sable. And it's like, oh, Sable, I can't believe you're gone. <laughs> You'll probably be back next week on Sunday Night Heat. <laughs> uh, so Sable is back. Now, what they've been trying to do with Sable being brought back and what they had implied was that she was brought back by Vince McMahon and there's some sort of... Thing going Something on. going on there, yeah. yeah. Obviously, it's not Vince McMahon in full-on let's grope the divas mode, which you'll be involved with <laughs> you later on, but it's implied that she's only back because Vince McMahon is letting her, so she's now a sort of corporate spokesperson yeah. Yeah. or something like that, which is fine because now she has to deliver her lines. like She has no emotion and she doesn't really mean them, but she was doing that anyway. She'll be all right, so that, I think, yeah. Sable we, uh... is about to excel in this role. We also get a line from JR, which uh, sounds very much like something Jerry would say, which was, uh, I'm not saying she's gorgeous, but I know a lot of my buddies in Oklahoma would marry her dog just to be part of her family, which Jerry responds with just, what? Yeah, what the hell is <laughs> JR just doing JR saying that? swapped roles just for a little minute. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, you, you, you don't, that's not your job. That's not your forte, Jim. <laughs> it's like Jerry Lara going, oh, he's been beaten like a government puppy. <laughs> Um, get a good example of the, uh, the kind of attitude of fans I don't like as well on the way to the ring you see a, a guy in the crowd holding up a sign the least creative it doesn't even make sense it's terrible it just says Sable 24-7 69 <laughs> what? there was an even better one at Sable 469 as in like Austin 369 oh come on <laughs> there's even, they even cut to a, a young guy in the audience who was chanting uh, Sable over and over again then he started doing the suck it movement. He just instantly know, fuck's sake, these people are back. There's like, what, 20,000 people in the arena? She's not going to suck all your dicks, guys. But <laughs> stop, like, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, so yeah, she's, she's saying that uh, Vince McMahon has brought her back, which for me, I think this is the defining moment of Vince McMahon being a true heel. Yeah. And bringing back Sable. How could he? You ruthless bastard. And uh, yeah, and I don't know what next missing man's going to do. Maybe sign Mark Merrill to a hundred-year deal or something. <laughs> but uh, Sable introduces Vince McMahon, and he gets a standing boovation. Great Jerry term. Says. A great term. I'd never heard that term boo-vation. before. I, I, I'm, I'm pleased I heard that from Jerry. Uh, I love kind of as much as I love the No Chance music, which I think Vince adopts after the the next Royal Rumble. Uh, there's something about Vince McMahon just coming out to silence. It's brilliant, actually. Yeah. Him, Patterson, Briscoe, just three old men. Yeah. And if you've never seen wrestling before, you'd be like, why do people hate these old men so much? <laughs> what could these old men possibly do? But um, We get a good example of why you should hate Pat Patterson uh, almost immediately after he gets into the ring. Yeah, because he uh, goes and has a... He, he, he doesn't even go for a bit of a touch. He full-on honks. <laughs> 
Sable's rear end. Yeah. To which Sable turns around and whacks Patterson with a pretty vicious slap, it must be said. Patterson, of course, looks like a pub landlord (laughs) with his thing. And then uh, Pat Patterson says... I dare having a woman slap me! Get out of here! (laughs) Makes no sense. Let's just break that down a second, Billy. I dare having a women's snap me. Good God, Patterson. Can you make any sense of that whatsoever? Patterson, not a native English speaker. I, I get the feeling that actually was an unscripted section right there. He did actually just grab Sable's ass, and that was <laughs> yeah. genuine surprise on his part. That was his genuine reaction. I mean, you know, you got to work with, within someone's uh, skill set. Why do they keep giving Patterson promos where he has to use plurals and singulars? He gets them mixed up. He it's, can't do it. It's a problem. But Vince McMahon uh, delivers a somewhat tedious promo, but it is still pretty cool, where he's talking about disappointment which he says he wants to be the theme of the night Mm. which is that you know people should prepare to be disappointed about the outcome of the main events mainly because people have spent most of their life being disappointed or being disappointments and then he goes on to call everyone in the crowd's parents disappointments as well you know saying that they're a product of disappointment it's a bit weird although it did strike me as kind of odd that the one time Vince McMahon addresses a pay-per-view audience talking about being disappointed is probably the one night in the history of WF pay-per-views where no one was actually going to be disappointed. (laughs) If he came out at the start of like Extreme Rules 2008 going, you're all going to be disappointed. (laughs) I'd be like, yes Vince, fair play. (laughs) But not tonight Vince. Anyway, we cut now to our first King of the Ring Ring tournament brackets. We get a good shot of the brackets. We've had some pretty big names in here. Mm. Triple H, uh, X-Pac, who had made his return after injury. It had been pointed out to me that X-Pac had been injured since the broken uh, neck, return. Wasn't it? Uh, yeah, he had a lot of a uh, lot of problems. But you see, you got a lot of people in there like D'Lo Brown, Mark Henry, a lot of Nation DX members uh, are represented. But we're down to our final brackets here now, and it's time for our first semi-final match. It's Ken Shamrock versus Jeff Jarrett, and you know what that means? Oh yes. Oh boy, <laughs> it's time for Tennessee Lee. He's only in the ring introducing Double J. Remember, it's a single elimination tournament. The winners advance to the finals and will compete here tonight. This is honestly the only time I've ever, ever... I've been, sorry, I've been looking forward to talking about this match <laughs> so long now. This is the only time I've ever been happy to so see this, Jeff Jarrett. This is like, compared to the last time where I said, oh boy, Tennessee Lee, you're like literally night and day here. Yeah, well, that's because this time he's fighting Ken Shamrock and you just know it's going to happen. It's We're finally going to get to see yeah. what I want to see. This is going to be gratifying yeah. on so many levels. We Jeff- got some uh, great signs as well. I saw uh, Double J, ain't he gay? Signed, <laughs> you know, Come on. very, very Classless witty there. Fans. Got us- <laughs> ain't he gay? Good job, Attitude Era fans. Um, Jeff has started to alter his gimmick a little bit here now. You're seeing the start of Jeff turning into the kind of don't piss me off character mm. even though he still has Tennessee Lee he, they're trying to develop now that he's got a bit of an edge he's got these guys called Southern Justice now who used to be the uh, the Godwins the pig farmers are now going to be coming in as his, like, his heavies so they're trying to make him different but 
it's kind of hard to take it seriously when Jeff Jarrett comes out looking like a sexy space alien yeah. <laughs> with a silver cowboy hat. This match must be somewhat cathartic for you, Adam, as Shamrock comes out that intense, you know what's going to happen. I can't tell you how much I got off on this. I really, really, I've been waiting for so long for this match. Shamrock's screaming happened. for a change as well, which yeah, is nice. Yeah, I was going to say, um, unfortunately, we didn't really have that many grunts uh, in this pay-per-view, so my grunt of the night is going to have to be here, which is when Shamrock, at 23 minutes uh, and 54 seconds, just as he's getting into the ring, he does his usual little thing, but because he's doing it with Jeff Jarrett, I think he just puts a little more emphasis on it where he hits his head and goes, just because it's double J. It's music to your ears. It is. It's glorious because that's the sound that it's going to happen. And we yeah. know, we know it's <laughs> now, you know, you know going in here that I think this was Shamrock's first, even though the King of the Ring has been, there's less emphasis on this. But you know that it's still like King of the Ring winner is like it's a pretty elite list. It's like yeah. you know Austin, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Triple H, that kind of thing. So you can tell Shamrock is giving it a little bit extra tonight. There's a little bit more of an octave behind those yells. If if possible, he's actually even stiffer than usual <laughs> uh, with those kicks. And straight away he goes right after Jeff yeah. Jarrett. He batters the bejesus out of him. Nearly cuts his head off with a clothesline as well. Like he is being. Fucking brutal here. Uh, Shamrock seems to go a lot to the whipping against the ropes and yeah. then hitting you really hard. Yeah. Yeah. That seems fairly, like that. It's effective. Fairly early on as well, we get uh, Double J calling time out and Shamrock obliges him by punching him in the face. <laughs> I love that. Double J just begging for mercy on the floor. Time out. No. Boom. I love that when like hokey, because we're always talking about you know, Jeff's act is real kind of old timey old Memphis wrestling outdated kind of. yeah. yeah and I love the fact you know some doing the old kind of oh baby time out he's kicks him straight away it's like it gives it a sense of believability almost yeah. you know that Shamrock won't fall for that I've got to say I was a little bit distracted from this match because last time we watched uh, a pay-per-view together Billy pointed out that uh, Double J looks a little bit like Gordon Ramsay with long hair <laughs> and now I cannot stop noticing it it's Monday just... Night Raw <laughs> we get um more distraction spots from Tennessee Lee. Yeah. And then it kind of sets up the story of the, the match, which is Double J working on the ankle, on, on the ankle of, of Shamrock, which I like to see because, you know, his finisher is the figure four leg lock. And obviously, if that's your finisher, Ken Shamrock comes back, though, with a hurricane run on Jeff Jarrett and he yeah. lands him right on his head. Amazing hurricane run. It's not an amazing no, hurricane no, no, no. run. <laughs> He didn't land properly. I'll give you that. He didn't do it properly. <laughs> he nearly but, killed him. He wasn't him. safe. But when, but when I watched it, I was like, oh, the the star of what I will call um, Jerry the King Lawler. This just he's so awful in this whole pod, in this whole pay per view. Go on. Just 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 everything he says from this point onwards is he's just such he's such a horrible person. And that, that's just that was <laughs> obviously the character. Really. Right, so, so what we have here is uh, JR uh, mentions uh, in passing that uh, Ken Shamrock's childhood was not that great. Mm. He was abandoned by his parents and, and, and stuff. Grew like, up on the streets. Grew up on the streets, had sleeping cars and stuff. He was stabbed when he was like 14 years old. And I thought, oh, that's... I looked it up afterward and that's actually real. I didn't yeah. know that was real. No, that's true. And that's, they that all actually yeah. happened. It's legit. Yeah. So, that's all legit. So after I found that out, um, I thought what Jerry said next uh, to be slightly horrible, we'll play the clip, but I'm just going to say the one thing that Jerry does say, which is, well, if Shamrock were to become king of the ring, he couldn't even call his old man and tell him about it, could he? He doesn't even know where he is. <laughs> Ken Shamrock's a bastard. He doesn't even know who his real father is. What else don't we know about Ken and Shamrock? That is a lie and when then, it comes to being a heel commentator. Then, then JR says, oh, I don't find that particularly funny or entertaining, as a matter of fact. And they have a say, oh, you don't really? He's like, no. And then Jerry says, I'm not trying to be. 
I'm just being fruitful. I have, in the context of that conversation, him saying that he's being fruitful makes no sense. I think Jerry wasn't really sure what he was saying there. Yeah, fruitful, what is he, was he talking about a harvest or something? (laughs) A horrible, horrible man. It's cool that they are like kind of giving Shamrock this kind of like, you know, why is he so angry would be a question you'd ask yourself. It's like, because he grew up on the streets and he had to yeah, learn to fight. Life, yeah. And I think that it gives him an edge. And you see straight away that once Shamrock goes back on offense, it's very academic. He locks in the, uh, the ankle lock on double J and he taps out uh, immediately. literally immediately. Before he's even properly in the yeah. hold. I love that because it's just like, you know, the whole, he knows how sore the hold is going to be. So he gives up straight away. And then, oh boy. Tennessee Lee comes into the ring and he gets belly to belly. Yeah, uh, it literally looks Lovely. like he broke the man in half. Yeah. It's, it's like Lovely. he belly to belly. I, I nearly had like you know tears running down my cheeks. <laughs> I was so happy that it's all just after you know all the months and months they've spent making everyone hate Tennessee Lee and hate Double J. This was just so nice. It was yeah. just like the WWF was saying, "Hey guys, we actually do like you. You know, we're going to give you something you want to see for once," and it made me really happy. It's good. I suppose that you can see to an extent why it's worth having. Double J to suffer through a lot of very tedious segments and matches is for moments like this. The orgasmic moment of seeing him get the shit <laughs> Exactly. It's like when he finally... It's not ideal, obviously, that you have to waste so many segments to get this guy so loathed in such a tedious way. But, but payoff. He, yeah. Oh, so yeah. good. Got a nice post-match interview from, uh, from Ken Shamrock. His says, voice is so high... <laughs> I, I I didn't think I thought he'd just be a big, a big angry piece man. Of shit. <laughs> enough is enough. It's time for a change. He, he's got a really high pitched voice, and I didn't I didn't imagine that. He's he's gassed, like yeah. You know, he's he's bloody. Shamrock. It's like voices cracking. It's like a fourteen year old boy going through puberty. Yeah, the the post match interview. I've always been a little bit skeptical on because it can really reveal if a guy is completely blown up. And we'll get it later on with The Rock as well, actually. (laughs) Uh, You know, Triple H has brought it back recently. They've been doing the post-match interviews. Mm. I like it maybe when someone wins a title, something like that. Well, it's actually a big deal, but after just an ordinary match, it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, This was a semi-final for the King of the Ring. You know, don't need to have an interview here. That's true. Well, there you go. Ken Shamrock advances to the finals of the 1998 King of the Ring. And now it's time for our next semi-final match. A match which I have so many mixed feelings about. It's The Rock, the people's champ, representing the nation of domination. Nation of domination. Taking on one of my absolute childhood favourites, and I don't even know why, Dan the Beast Severn. Oh Seriously, my god. Uh, I knew Dan Severn from uh, UFC, obviously, but I, didn't, uh, I never saw any of his WWF stuff. He just left when I got into wrestling. So, literally, this is the first thing I saw of Dan this Severn. This is the first thing I've ever seen of him. And the first image you see is this big man in a grey t-shirt covered in sweat with a big moustache and just this sort of calm, plain look on his face walking down the ramp. And as he comes into focus, it is literally possibly one of the most chilling sights in WWF. <laughs> he literally has, he looks like he has no soul. He yeah. has this look on his face like he, he's lost his son. He, knows, he doesn't yeah. know where he's his just, son is. He's just plain, he's just blank. He looks like he's going to slowly, slowly he, murder you. He knows what he's there to do and he's going to do it. Yeah. Uh, Jim Ross says he's all stake, very little sizzle. And as he's coming to the ring, we see the recap. <laughs> I didn't catch that, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love any sort of barbecue analogy. <laughs> now, I'm saying if he was a steak. <laughs> sorry, you can't take a beast like Dan Severn and compare him to a steak. Ken Shamrock, one of the prime ribs here. <laughs> Look at Vader, that, that side. Pork chop. <laughs> that pork chop. Um, what I like, though, is that, you know, 
several coming in. His music is bloody amazing as well. Yeah, I love, I love his it. music. Uh, and as he's coming in, as you get the chilling shot of him putting in his mouth guard, you know, taking off his sweat-stained, plain grey t-shirt, <laughs> it cuts to the recap of how Severin qualified for the semis. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that is horrible. First inspiration, and we mentioned earlier that D-Law Brown was injured at the hands of Dan DeVee Severin. Here's how it happened. And D-Law said no, but watch Severin creep back on it right here. Right, there with his pectoral muscles. Listen to the pain and agony in his voice. Muscles ripped away from his rib cage. He kills Dio Brown. <laughs> yeah. What he did what he did to that boy was, was reprehensible. <laughs> it's as you can tell they're rather shocking stuff. The idea was that they were just putting Severin over as he, he didn't throw punches, he was a grappler, he knew how to hurt people. He just and, hugged you tight. <laughs> yeah, and the thing was that apparently now D'Lo had been taken out effectively. Uh, yeah, yeah his pectoral muscles were His pectoral muscles were ripped by this very horrible submission hold. We had uh, the Godfather and Mark Henry come out with The Rock, but they were told to go backstage almost immediately. This was something they did a lot. The Nation of Domination, any time they came out on Raw during this period, they would do the thing, they would all come out and Godfather would be like, yeah, and they'll be like high-fiving, and then they'd all be sent to the back and be like, what you put to... Every week. It's like, guys, you're, you're clearly not allowed to come to ringside. Stop, Stop getting bothering. your hopes up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't see why, why, they, um, why they care so much as well. It happens every week, and then every week they come back to interfere. They interfere anyway. Like, yeah. <laughs> they know they're going to come in. Uh, unfortunately, this is the only singles competition appearance of Dan Severn on the podcast. So I think, oh. yeah, which is a shame, but you can tell straight away why Dan and WWF were not meant to be yeah. complete clash of styles yeah here. the rock for the first time and the only time ever i think i've ever watched a match with the rock where he doesn't know what to do because he's like you know doing all you know he's doing the eyebrow showboat and then severance is like double leg take down yeah. <laughs> uh, it's such an awkward clash of styles it's yeah. weird i know what you mean about mixed feelings because i really enjoy watching dan severin because yeah he's really unique loads of grappling you know mat based stuff but and, if he's not winning the match and not dominating yeah and to be honest that kind of style it's unique and it's great and everything but it's not the kind of thing you're going to see people you know queuing up to watch week in and week out no. once you've seen it once i'm sure people will get bored of it kind of quickly if you kept severin in that kind of like lower mid card thing where he was just like hurting guys and he could have him like as, a, as an attraction he could like win like a European belt or something like that that's fine but when it comes it, again like any guy who's got this kind of killer aspect to him whether it be a Goldberg or an Ultimate Warrior or a Ryback I know that's not the best comparison here but when you've got a guy who's meant to be a killer when he has to start selling it's and he has to start having long matches that's when the problems come in. So yeah. for Severin to come out and you know injure D'Lo in a ten, sorry, in a five-minute match, that's fine. For him to actually go out and work a match back and forth with someone like The Rock, he can't really sell. He can't react. His timing is awful. So yeah, it wasn't meant to be. It's a shame. And what we get here then is D'Lo coming out, who's now got the chest protector, which yeah. is, a very, is a very long-running gimmick. You know, the, the slow armor. heel. Yeah. And he hits the low down on Severin. Uh, it's an amazing frog splash. Oh yeah, no. For, Dino does a good frog, uh, frog splash. For for a man, a man the carriage of D'Lo Brown, <laughs> yeah. it's always impressive. What was it you called him on that episode uh, recently, Kevin? A fat fuck. A proper fat fuck. <laughs> a fat fuck. <laughs> Uh, the nation run out in the end, and they all, uh, you know, they all celebrate. The Rock wins. The Rock has his post match, has his post match promo, and again, it's like he's being the Rock, but he's like he's he's dying, like he's gassed yeah. as well. 
So see, I don't know what I thought overall of this match because I really would have liked to have seen more of Seven and to have Seven lose so quickly felt a bit like a cop out. Yeah, but I again, would have liked as, the match to have been a bit longer. As Kevin said, if the if the match did go on for longer, you probably would have ended up finding yourself getting bored yeah. or you know and losing I mean, interest. In fairness, the way you're looking at it. Lots of people—they were building up a storyline that lots of people were going to say, "Oh, it's going to be Shamrock versus Severn because they've been playing up to the UFC that would have been rivalry." Right, I reckon. For a raw, they did do Shamrock Severn on Raw at one oh, point, yeah, and it was a really cool uh, spectacle of a match uh, in, later in the summer. But when you've got Rock and Severn, I mean, I'm the biggest Severn mark there is. I, mm. I love the guy, absolutely love him. But I mean, the Rock has to win. It, it, ma- it makes yeah. tons of sense for the Rock, Rock and Shamrock. Shamrock to be in the final as well. Because think about it, because you know the Rock has been you know busy having his neck broken and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed fine in this match. Didn't yeah, he? yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. okay, very quick turnaround. On very that quick turnaround. And um, they're obviously now kind of like right. It's Rock Shamrock. Finally, Shamrock is going to get his revenge. Yeah, and we'll get to that later in the night. We'll get to that later in the night. It's a it's a match straight away. I'm looking forward to. But now we cut to an, a slightly wackier tone of music. <laughs> Music which I felt was more likely to be appearing on Mario Party or maybe Supermarket Sweep. It's a real... <laughs> Such a goofy promo. It's perfect, though. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, recapping Al Snow trying to get into uh, yeah. WWF, which we had discussed uh, previously on the Over the Edge episode, Al's attempts to get in. Just over a month ago, Al Snow reappeared in the WWF. At first, it seemed he simply returned as a fan. After all, his buddy Head is a big Stone Cold fan. But it didn't take long to find out why Al was really back. I need to see this. I need to see this. Wait, don't touch me. Don't touch me. I need to see this. But WWF officials made it clear they were about to put up with Al's antics, and especially those of the Head. So Al's first attempt to return failed. But Al hasn't exactly been a one-hit wonder. So at that point, he and Head, rather than give up, turned to the king of all people for a little bit of help. All I want you to do is be inconspicuous. Don't do anything to attract attention to yourself. Matter of fact, just mingle. Can I lose this guy? I cannot believe this. You look ridiculous. You like Edgar Young now, huh? Oh, great. Japanese photographer. Last night, you were a Spanish commentator. You said you know how to speak Spanish. So with Alan Head's million disguises not working, they turned to a life of crime as Head stole the King's crown two weeks ago. But believe it or not, that one act may have finally got Alan's meeting with Mr. McMahon if he and the Head get by too much tonight. Basically, the continuation of this was that Al Snow stole uh, King's crown. And in a way to kind of make it all good and get him out of his life, he said, King said, if you can beat too much, you'll get your meeting with Vince McMahon. So it's yeah. Al Snow and Head versus Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor. But straight away, we get a little bit of chicanery because the special guest referee is announced, Billy. Yes, and it is, of course, our good friend, Jerry the King Lawler. Yeah. What would it feel like for you, Billy, being a fan of Jerry's commentary, knowing that you're going to get a whole match without the King making his smart little quips? Um, well, it would make me happy, but at the same time, I'm now going to have to constantly look at Jerry being a prick. <laughs> <laughs> it does say a lot about JR, though, that he can commentate this match completely well, yeah, by no, himself, it's just, it's... and it was fine. Yeah. Like, Only three people okay. can commentate on their own, and it's Jim Ross... Joey Styles and uh, Gordon Soli from, from back in the day. It's a very, very specific skill set. Yeah. Because they've done angles and stuff in WWE before where you know, one of the commentators got beaten up. I think it was like Raw in like 2004 or something like that. It was either Coach or, or JR who was on commentary and they got 
beaten up or whatever and King had to do a match on his own and this is when King was a face as well and he was literally just going huh look at Goldust (laughs) 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 so yeah I mean JR it's just I mean we we talk about it so little on the podcast because it's almost a given but it needs to be said he is the best ever oh yeah completely best in the world absolutely best ever so you get too much coming out it's Brian Christopher who is Jerry Lavaro's kid he laughs exactly like Jerry there's a bit where he laughs and and it's, it's scary and uh, Scott Taylor, who, of course, these two are later going to become too cool. But before then, they're the creepy, really creepy, too much. So I've got to say, I've got to say, I, I was a big fan of Too Cool when I was a kid. Like, you know, Did you not know about this? I knew of them, but I never actually saw any Too Much right, stuff. Yeah. I just, I knew it from like WWF Attitude on PS1 or whatever. And so this is like my first real exposure to how they were before Too Cool. And yeah, really weirded me out when they were coming down the ramp and like shouting the camera with this. It reminded me of, um, do you know at the Oscars when Matt Stone and Trey Parker took acid uh, for the South Park to <laughs> yeah. be nominated? And they're just like, like walking Yeah, they look, they look exactly like that. They just look really, <laughs> really high, touching each other, looking into the camera and just saying like nonsensical things. They keep things. happening like, during the match. They keep going back to the, like, the, the, the ring apron just as like, just the other yeah. one. It's like, let's feel your nipples, mate. Oh, I'll go back in. Feel your nipples, mate. <laughs> right. Now, I could be well out of line, but I think there's a, the police record will probably back me up on this. But Brian Christopher looked high as a fucking kite. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's... You know, working the angle and living the character, but he actually looked manic. His eyes, he didn't blink the whole fucking Scary match. Looking. He literally looked like he was about to explode. <laughs> and I kind of find it weird about that too much. Go back and look at some of the gimmick, because a lot of the stuff they did, they ended up doing with, with Too Cool. Like, particularly Scott Taylor. All the dancing, he yeah. does the moonwalk, and that all obviously became a big part of the Too Cool yeah. gimmick later on. Scotty Too High. Very strange. Um... Jerry the King Lawler can really fill out a referee shirt. He's got a, a, a rather full um, yeah. abdominal area, so to speak. Uh, the chance of Burger King are definitely uh, well deserved in this point. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Burger King. Genius. Um, it also becomes apparent early on that Jerry the Lawler is, is going to uh, go against convention and referee a match wearing a crown. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I know we do bitch and moan about Jerry a lot here, but I actually think he was brilliant as this referee. It's like, great, no, it's oh, good. No, yeah, no, when yeah. when it's Al good. Snow got the pin, like Jerry slowly gets down, he double checks, put his hand under the shoulders, one check the shoulders again, really slowly, and Jr. just like, like for God's sake, <laughs> it's great because literally because it's kind of like it's it's basically a comedy match. Yeah, yeah. They because you know they always had you know, the evil referee, even with Vince McMahon, they didn't go this far. This is like the most ludicrous. <laughs> Like heel referee, so blatant, ever. yeah. It's like he basically, you might as well slap Al Snow in the face. <laughs> yeah. Like it's really funny, and they're doing the whole thing is that because Al wants the contract so much, he's not lashing out at Jerry. He's trying to keep it together. Yeah. Yeah. Al Snow's fragile psyche. It's a really cool little story, actually. I think they've got uh, going on here. You got Al continually going back to the corner to. Uh, Talk strategy. Consult yeah. with the head. Consult with the head. Consult with the head to make it sound like art attack. <laughs> um, I like, even though he is, as I said, possibly high as a kite, I do kind of like Brian Christopher doing the absurd over the top heel stuff, biting the hand. And he like. He, Spitting on head. Yeah, and he's he like, you know, he goes into the corner and he's like, he pulled my hair, he pulled my hair. <laughs> you know, do the big dramatic pull of the hair motion. Yeah. Just and running then, to daddy. And then straight away he pulls <laughs> Al Snow's hair. It's. Yeah. It, it, they do this now and then Jerry used to be great it's just this 
this kind of Memphis style of healery that has been around since the 60s, but these people wouldn't know it, so it kind of riles up the crowd quite a bit. It's, it's funny the context of a comedy match, but uh, overall I wasn't really that impressed by too much. Like, they were, they were no. okay. No, they, 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 were, they weren't... They're entertaining. They're entertaining. It wasn't they, weren't there, they, were, they weren't there to wrestle, they were there to entertain. They were, they were, they were a hype man. They were yeah. to hype the crowd up for But considering that these were guys who'd barely been on TV, yeah. I mean, the only real kind of thing they had going was, you know... It was by association that you know that Jerry Jerry's, Lawler, kid. Jerry's yeah. kid and he was pretending he wasn't his kid. But you know, to put him in a big spot like that where it is kind of this match has entirely gotta be carried with, with the charisma and the the chicanery as opposed to actual wrestling. I think mm-hmm. they did a pretty good job because it was their chance to shine. I think they did pull it off to an extent. We got um snow tagging in head and we got a hot tag from Oh head. sorry, yeah, the head yeah. hot tag, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with Bradshaw. You're talking there, yeah, with Bradshaw last year. I think the head might have given him a run for his money in terms of best uh, hot tag ever. It's quite funny. He's knocking everyone down with the head. Uh, <laughs> at one point we get this it's one of my favourite spots ever. I think my, my cousin who I used to watch this with all the time, every time he watched this he used to laugh. He couldn't stop. They go to the outside and snow like sits the guys up in the ring apron he turns around he looks like he's about to turn back around but he just keeps walking and he goes up the ring like all the way up to the stage and Jim Ross is like where is he going where has he been (laughs) (laughs) and then Snow turns around with a full head of steam runs Ultimate Warrior style the entire rampway all the while Brian Christopher is there going no <laughs> you know you're going to crash my slowmobile and he hits this clothesline pure comedy I, it's hilarious Brilliant. I love it but yes the finish Billy the finish is well it's creative to say the it's least it's not creative it's lame it's a really <laughs> shit joke it's how, terrible alright Adam how do you pin a head Okay, so obviously, let's go through this properly. The head, to pin someone, their shoulders have to be on the ground. Yeah. The head doesn't have shoulders. So all, win. All we see... The head cannot lose. <laughs> <laughs> all yeah. we see is Brian Christopher attach a little white bottle to the bottom of the head, puts him down, pins him, Jerry counts, one, two, three, he wins. Al Snow is pinning at the same time, so he thought he won at the Yeah, he had the snow player, yeah, yeah. But then we turn around and we see that the head, the little <laughs> bottle attached to it, is a bottle of head and shoulders shampoo. Knees and toes. No, head and shoulders shampoo, Billy. <laughs> really. toes. Stop it. <laughs> and then we get Brian Christopher, just for the rest of the match, just constantly going like, the head, the head has shoulders, it has shoulders, it has shoulders, it has shoulders, and just he, running away. He had, he had smarted him. Well, that, uh, wasn't exactly what you'd call a stem wander down there in the scope, even. He got the head, because we beat the head, it had shoulders, we beat the head. Shampoo. It, it's shoulders, a, mate. It is the lamest joke. It's terrible. <laughs> it's like heads. Oh, oh, head and shoulders. The head hasn't got shoulders. Let's put the shampoo bottle in the match. That's brilliant. The That's w- topical. In the warped, incredibly strange, deranged mind of Jerry Lawler <laughs> and Brian Christopher, and the chemically altered mind <laughs> of Brian Christopher, that made perfect sense. A backstage in the locker room, they're like. This is, t- is watertight, lads. Watertight. This will be on the top 250 yeah. RG moments in the years to come. What can you say about this match? It's comedy. It sticks out oddly on this show that has a lot of very good wrestling. Yeah. For me, I I should say probably you know at the start I've got a lot of nostalgia for this uh, for this pay per view. You know, my cousin had it on video. We watched it a lot. Fond memories of this match for me. You know, I mean, my favorite quote of this has to be uh, Jim Ross, which is "Head is legal, 
what the hell am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> that sums it up so that sums perfectly. Up, yeah, perfectly. So I get the feeling, Adam, that you weren't you weren't uh, blown away by the, the comedy spectacular. Oh no, no, I, I thought it was hilarious. It was a good comedy match. Yeah, but, um, the, I just, the wrestling wasn't great. It yeah, was just, I, I think it wasn't so much, entertainment wise. It I wasn't loved it. so much the wrestling, great. so much as the personalities of too much. They really creeped me out. They just seemed like, again, I think it's because I did know you've told me before about Brian Christopher's chemical problems and stuff so I knew what he was like and watching him it was a little bit like eh, I don't really like this guy Yeah, it, it was a fun match yeah it's definitely and hilarious and fairness though I mean let's all be be realistic about this this match was about two things one it was about introducing the Al Snow character and introducing him because he's weird and different this is a great way of doing it and two it was introducing Brian Christopher so he could later go on and release his single uh, Jabroni Jabroni <laughs> <laughs> what about Ric Flair ain't got a pair Jabroni. Rikishi, he ain't no Jabroni, but he got a big old butt. Said you, said you, said you could do the atomic. Because uh, you know what I like about that, Adam? I like about the fact that he's got his album out now. Because you can imagine he was arrested for, like, you know, like driving under the influence very recently. And you can imagine, you know, that the people really worried about him and all that. And then like, he goes up to him and he's like, you know, Brian, you're you're going off the rails here. You've lost all your teeth to crystal meth. What's going on? I'm like, oh, don't worry, man. I got my album coming out real soon. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's got a song on it called Jabroni. <laughs> and there's a uh, oh my god. Then there's puppies as well as the other yep. single, which, uh, which Jerry, has Jerry on it. The one for me, gonna make her mine, cause I like her puppies. Ah, uh, puppies. They're pinned up all day and out of sight She lets them out to play, but only at night They got little pink noses, they're plumping around They're not your typical everyday hound Get vocals from his father Which he probably had to record in a separate room in a different stage Okay, this is getting a little dark here, guys Let's, let's reel back from the Lawler family Let's, reel, let's reel back in there now Next match Next match It's This is great His first kind of big proper match back That didn't kind of he had a match against Triple H, but it kind of was thrown out. It's X-Pac making his glorious return to pay-per-view in the Attitude Area here with China, taking on Own Heart, representing the Nation of Domination. Nation of Domination! So we got a recap of Own killing uh, X-Pac and then X-Pac killing Own. Some very stiff chair shots in the belt yeah. of this match. So much so that Own got split open so bad in the Raw the night before, uh, he had to get nine staples. Nine yeah, staples. huge. Which uh, Jerry kind of uses, I suppose rightfully so, to put over how tough Owen is. That he doesn't want stitches, he wants staples. Yeah. He's such a man. I tell you what, I think Jerry totally missed a trick here. We've noticed in a couple episodes before now, how anytime Owen Hart appears, Jerry always makes a big deal about like, oh, you want to know about breaking necks? Ask this guy. X-Pac has just come back from a broken neck injury. Mm, yeah. This is the perfect time Fancy, to make yeah, that joke. Yeah. Finally, he can actually make it in context. Does he say anything? No. no. Decides, you know... He's a little bit above that for once. Well, don't worry. Jerry will say something in this. Uh, in this. Match. Oh, undoubtedly. I will yeah. report it. I mean, I was. Someone actually told me on Twitter, you know, that Xbox had been out injured, but they would never really said that because he just come back after WrestleMania and he was in DX and he just accompanied them to their matches. So I suppose because he was being brought in as this badass and this new badass group, they wouldn't be like, oh, by the way, he's really hurt. So it was never really. But at the of... opening of this match, Jr. does mention a couple exactly, of times how now, is he has been injured because now they're they're faces, I suppose. Yeah, it's yeah. okay to talk, about that. talk about that. But yeah, um, one thing that struck me and you as hot Adam is the fact that Xbox during his early run here wears red. Yeah, he's part yeah. of the X, you know, the green and black color scheme. Better wear red. What, what are you doing? Don't understand. What are you that. doing? 
uh, at all. What I like about this match is that we get, you know, when you, you know, we said it before, you can only do it really like once once a night, which is when you do the running head start and you just yeah, kick out get straight. straight to it. We get that baseball slide straight away and, you know, the match kicks off high pace. And I kind of think that after the last match, which Jim Ross describes as being bowling shoe ugly <laughs> which is Jim Ross code for I'm really fucking sorry we put that on TV <laughs> uh, we're getting I mean X-Pac and Owen Hart I mean this yeah, is yeah I'm very excited for this match very excited yeah. get a lot of uh, stiff action some really hard shots into the turnbuckle uh, by yeah, yeah. It looks really so really it's cool good. to see Owen being like as I said he works good as a heel as opposed to a face because when he's kind of in control and just like he knows how to hurt you kind of thing yeah that's you know even though Owen's heel turn is illogical, him just actually wrestling yeah. as a heel. His uh, maliciousness is very you can you can buy yeah, it. You can buy it. Yeah. It's good because this is the first time we've seen him in a singles match since he's yeah. been heel as well, so it's nice. And we got a very sweet fisherman suplex by. Uh, oh yeah, by, uh, that is a move that I just bloody love. A nice fisherman suplex. Ken used to, Ken Shamrock used to do a good one. Ken, Ken. <laughs> you'll make Ken Ken for that. <laughs> <This> fucking businessman. <laughs> <laughs> I was on to Ken the other day. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I suppose maybe because we've always seen John Cena do his. Uh, yeah. You don't just if you just tap his ass when you give him a regular vertical suplex, that's not a fisherman suplex, John. This is a fisherman suplex. We get uh, X Pac thrown through a table. To Good God! Yeah. He explodes into Throws him like a frisbee. It's amazing. Oh man! What uh, the the best thing about that? According to um, Jerry, of course it would be a Jerry moment. The worst thing about X Pac being thrown through a table um, is that he didn't hit Howard Finkel. <laughs> Um, why? why? Ah. This is something we've talked about before, before, but I don't think on the podcast. Why do these guys hate Howard Finkel? It's, no, it's all ring announcers. They yes. always do it. There's this video of Michael Cole. Oh, uh, we've seen that one. Yeah, yeah run, running down Tony Chinnell because he can't say. Making fun of them, yeah. And I don't know. Life. I, I just don't know, don't know what of it course, is. Of course, was it uh, a couple of years back now when Finkel came back to do CM Punk's introduction? He came back to do, you know, be his special announcer. With tears in his and eyes. He's just there with tears in his eyes, like, you know, getting ready to announce. And all you can hear on the commentary desk is just Michael Cole going. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, stop the pain. Introducing the Challenger. <laughs> Look at him. He's returned to Madison Square Garden after 40 years. Dude, loser. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. Uh, it's not obviously it's not blatant here, but it's always a running thing, particularly Lillian Garcia as well, mm. uh, and even like Triple H. And they go beyond that. They've made some very like off-color sexist remarks about her as well. I don't know what it is about being ring announcer that makes you a whipping boy. Justin Roberts seems to not get any. Uh, yeah. Hate. Yeah. Thankfully, he's safe. But yeah, I know it's it's a very strange thing. It's a very uh, yeah good thing to pick up on, I suppose. Uh, X Pac hits the X Factor, which unfortunately, like many of his DX comrades, is just referred to as a unique, incredible move. Yeah, it's not really over yet as a move, is it? Yeah, I love the yeah, it's kind of like in SmackDown Three, you know, when they, <laughs> they didn't have a name for their finisher. What a move! Or, or incredible move. Uh, <laughs> Particularly, I remember, like, if they had this free scripted line, which was like, you know, name of wrestlers move is great. So, you know, <laughs> Devon Dudley's incredible move is great. <laughs> um, at one point, coming up towards the end of the match, X-Pac and Owen both go to the top of the turnbuckle. Oh, yeah. Uh, Scary spot. It looks like there's going to be a superplex coming. Instead, X-Pac sort of falls down, appears to hit Owen. Then there's like a three second delay and then Owen just suddenly goes boing and then just bounces off of it and then lands straight in the middle of the ring like a rubber band. Can anyone clarify exactly what happened uh, there? Cause I was I just watching it just looking a little confused. It looked like they were going for top rope superplex but X-Buck to maybe counter it into like a cross body. Maybe, yeah. Because Owen went like straight up to the top straight away but yeah, it was very, very awkward. Uh, it, fortunately though, Owen maybe just by taking that spectacular bump it was just so he could 
fall off and I guess. not kill himself. Look ridiculous. Uh, Owen does look like he's cut again, though. And you get a yeah. bit of blood coming out yeah. of him. Poor Owen is just like, getting the shit knocked out yeah, for all the time. Yeah, can't catch a break, like, can he? No. Uh, um, gets his nose, bro- uh, nose broken one week. He gets nine stitches and he gets him ripped open again here. We get Here's a move now which I want to know what Billy thinks of. Because it's one I don't like. And I don't know what your opinions are on it, though. Uh, X-Pac has started just using it when he came back. The Bronco Buster. Yeah, he does it successfully about splitting his anus. <laughs> oh! Oh, no. Um, what is Bronco Buster? I don't. I hate it as a move. Uh, it depends. I think only if you're a heel. Maybe. It depends yeah, on the match. It's like a, it's a heel move because it's like well, like we were watching um, uh, for all uh, um, for all mankind, yeah. yeah. and he was saying how he hates that move. It's, it's kind of degrading. It right? is a very yeah. degrading move. I agree with it. It is degrading in the same way the stink face is degrading. But if you have the right character on the receiving end of it, like say you know they're beating up. Uh, this isn't an actual example, but say they were beating up Vincent Mann, and he's you know absolutely hated and deplorable. Seeing him get a Bronco Buster, everyone be like, yeah, you know, expect yeah. his dick in his face. But you can't do it in the middle of an ordinary match because it's just stupid. It is really. Well, it doesn't demeaning. make sense as well because that's not supposed to be face. Yeah. So yeah. Like, but again, work. we're doing the weird DX. Yeah. Their faces, they, they, but they're they're assholes. Still in the weird I mean, transition. when he does do the Bronco Buster here, I remember. I think it's either Jerry or Jr. Just says, "Oh, using the martial arts ability on his legs there," and then someone else just says, "Oh, I think Owen just had his front teeth knocked out," implying that X Pac has got a really, really hard dick when he does it. Like <laughs> just like, whacks it right into you, like you know, it's kind of like getting the uh, the, the the fastball punches. Uh. But yeah, um, now. This comes to the closing sequence of the match. Which, the interference. <laughs> yeah. The inter- that's a, putting it mildly. Big Mizar comes out and squashes X-Pac. Uh, like he literally squishes him. Yeah, and Jack- before we can catch your breath... <laughs> then Giacomo endorsed uh, wrestler Vader comes out. Giacomo! <laughs> uh, like a freight train, according to JR. <laughs> Big red train. <laughs> um, and I, I do like the train comparison there, because like Vader, they're so big! <laughs> um, <but yeah. laughs> Comes out, hits Mark Henry, topples over like a game of Jenga. And it's ridiculous. The, thing about the camera, it's because so much shit is happening, and it's live on pay-per-view, so the camera is There's focused... There's so many big guys, they can't yeah. get into the, in, into into the shot. Because you literally, the camera's focused on Mark doing his thing, and then literally, just like out of the left hand side of your screen, this big red fucking ball just comes <laughs> crashing in. Literally bounces off of Mark. When, when me and Adam watched it, we had to pause. It was like, well, fucking slow down. It's like, like Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm going to draw a line under the weight jokes for Vader. <laughs> I, um, do, I do worry about Vader maybe listening to this podcast no, one day they, and crying. They have. Because I've been watching the Raws, you know, to, yeah. to, to figure out what's been going on with these crazy-ass storylines. And they're proper mean to Vader. Jim, <laughs> really? Jim Ross in particular. Jim Ross says on the Raw before this, or it might have been the one before that, but he says in the build to this going, Vader, he's been, you know, hitting the gym, trying to get back in shape. I mean, he's not quite there yet, but that's another story. Oh my god! He's a guy who's meant to be a big, mean killer, and the fans are meant to like him. Like, look at this fat prick, he can't even get in shape. <laughs> right, the fact that Vader himself admitted that he's got a bit of a weight issue at the last pay-per-view, JR's just bullying him now. What Can you from? imagine Jim Ross and Vader in confidence going, you know, Jim, just between you and me, I've got a bit of a weight problem at the moment, but I'm going to let you know I'm working on it. And Jim Ross is like, well, you're not there yet. <laughs> Better wait till we're on Raw live on air with 20 million people watching. So, yeah. I don't know where we were. Uh, Hart gets X-Pac in the sharpshooter. And X-Pac taps out, which is uh, a nice, but the ref is not there. But I always like yeah. that when it's kind of like, that's a nice way of, yeah. Saving a guy's heat. At least almost. Owen's still yeah. over here. I yeah. think kind of like he can make him tap out, but no ref there. So China comes in, 
hits Owen with a slappy old DDT. X-Pac wins. Uh, Jim Ross doesn't admonish the faces, or even these weird in-betweeny people, ever for cheating. And I don't like that. Yeah. Because yeah. they're blatantly cheating. Yeah, but cheating, this, 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 is some, but... this is something I, I deliberately wrote down after this match. We're five matches in now. And all but one have involved interference or cheating in some capacity. Yeah. Mm. I'm all for interference or cheating at some point to get Be somebody consistent. to it. You it's can't ha- keep doing it. They're, they've done it in all... I think the only match they haven't done it in was the first match. The kind time match, mm. yeah. was the first match. And then every other match after that has had interference or cheating to in some, some extent. capacity. Yeah. Well, that's a problem a lot of people have with the Attitude Era, is that... You know, it's it's Vince Russo kind of with a lot of. He'll say that he never booked a finish, but his style of writing obviously greatly influenced yeah. you know, dirty tactics. doing these kind of dirty tactics. But I mean, as I said, you, there's ways you can do, and I think you can do a lot of interference as long as it's kind of handled in a consistent manner. But it's just for me, for Jim Ross to be like, how dare they for one group of guys, and then like not even mention it for yeah. another group of guys well it's I think the strange. thing is it's almost like Mark Henry interfered first so then it's okay for Vader to interfere and it's okay for China to interfere because Nation were the ones that first stepped in mm. my only real beef with this ending is that China does the DDT on Owen Hart then you have a moment where they're both down the referee starts counting the next pack crawls over gets on top of Owen one two three yeah doesn't it make X-Pac seem kind of weak that he just pinned Owen off of China's DDT? I mean, like, oh, yeah. X-Pac have done, like, the X-Factor or no, something. No, that's true. Like, and for X-Pac's first match Big back, match. Uh, yeah, big comeback match. It's kind of weird they ended it with China winning it for him. China was one of these weird ones, I suppose, that, you know, they were thinking that... I mean, looking back now, obviously, it makes them look, like, weak as shit to have, yeah. you know, the technically the valet, basically, with the match for them. But I think they, they, in their minds, they were building up China as this kind of ultimate badass, but it never really did, yeah. I don't know. Uh, we got a quick promo with Paul Bearer coming out, which is nice. I love seeing this guy get some solo mic time. You didn't think I was going to be here tonight, did you? this night for the world. I took two of the worst beatings I've ever taken at the hands of your phenom, The Undertaker. Took a look at him, he's still ticking. And last week, when the doctor was taking the stitches out of my head, every stitch that came out, dead man, I cursed you to hell. And tonight, I still curse you to hell. But for 20 years, my son Cain sat all alone in his home, in his room, surrounded by pictures of his brother. On Saturday, he would watch WWF superstars He would tell me, Dad, I want to be like him. His whole life he suffered. His whole life he was ridiculed. He couldn't play Little League. He couldn't be in the Boy Scouts. He couldn't go outside in the sunshine because the sun hurt his scars so bad. But he would say, Daddy, I want to be like him. How do you think it makes me feel? Tonight, we 
because when I leave this ring, I will be the father and the manager of the WWF champion. And then you can laugh at the fat man all you want because I'll damn sure laugh all the way to the bank. Vengeance is mine, sayeth Paul Bearer. The thing that struck me when listening to him, it's a very impassioned speech. You gen I genuinely got the feeling that Paul loves Kane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I got that and like, I, I haven't had that before. I haven't yeah. had before. This is you one genuinely of buy it that, that Paul is Kane's father. This is one of those rare character building uh, little promos where you actually do find out more about, you know, he, he tells you about how Kane was as a child and you're like, you know, he's watching he WWE. Yeah, yeah. I want to be like Undertaker and stuff like that. Um, considering you know Paul Bearer can be so over the top and ridiculous, this is like a perfect. This is one of those like, actual personal little promos that you know does tell you a lot about him as a character. Definitely, it's cool. I love you. He's talking about kind of you know he was a kid and he couldn't go out and play because the sun hurt his scars, so he would just sit in his room and watch you know superstars and yeah, you know, it's nice. It all brother. makes sense. It, I, it ties up the story quite nicely. It's really cool. And the nicest thing about this is that it's. I love it. It's absolute gold. And it's at the end. He says he vows to leave as the father and the manager of the WF champion. And then you can laugh at me all you want, but I'll laugh all the way to the bank. And I love that because managers in kayfabe terms if you're managing the champion you're going you're to get more money because yeah. you get a cut of, yeah. the, of the winner's purse or whatever the way he actually said it if I remember he says you can laugh at the fat man all you want which is actually <laughs> quite nice you know because he's like he, he basically admits I know you guys all laugh at me because I'm a fat man. silly character yeah. but he doesn't care anymore because Kane's yeah. going to win so. it's real cool because it's he's got double he doesn't just want to win because he's his father he wants the uh, he wants the moon hay as well yeah. Yeah. which is nice because it makes you think wins and losses actually count in wrestling sometimes and now we've got another, I think this was another bonus attraction because it was, certainly wasn't yes, it advertised was. yeah. and it certainly wasn't built up on television. They don't even, they don't even say that this, because in the um, Headbangers and Taco match, they, they said that this is the first of two bonus matches. Mm. Make no reference to the fact that this is the second one, so I just assumed this was. Yeah, it is match, because, yeah. as I said, the Midnight Express hadn't even been on TV for yeah. the last month, if you could believe that. Yes, tag titles, New Age Outlaws, Midnight Express... Who cares? Midnight Express, as we previously discussed, it was an abortion of an angle. It's stupid. Bland. Jim Cornette coming out trying to make it seem like, you know, it's going to work. But you know what? Anything we're going to say about this, we've said before. New Age Outlaws surprisingly win. The, <laughs> the only thing I like about this match is that in the end, when uh, Billy Gunn comes in and uh, he corners Jim Cornette, China misses her cue, so Jim Cornette has to ages. sit for around an hour going, Oh, no! please don't get me and then China's like oh yeah uh, Cornette speaks very lowly of this whole run and he said like basically at the end of this he was like I don't want to be a manager anymore I'm done don't yeah. blame him this is the first time I've actually to a degree seen the appeal of the New Age Outlaws oh really? hooray um, I, I still hate um, the mic work from Road Dog. I just I just I hate it. I think what I'll be helping that is because I noticed this straight away is the New Age Outlaws they get a big pop and you know everyone's singing along and you know doing all the catchphrases Midnight Express I'm not even exaggerating here the crowd are literally silent and this it's is a good a crowd yeah, yeah. there's the been a great crowd all night but they literally don't give but a they shit the, the last time we saw the Midnight Express they were wrestling the Rock and Roll Express yeah. at Unforgiven and for some reason, that match, which they won on the screwiest of ways, is somehow enough to earn them a tag title match. Yeah, who, I mean, who wants them back? 
DOA, Legion of Doom, you know, Headbangers even. These are all guys who had more reasons to get a title shot before them. But it's just, again, it was just a way to get the, the Outlaws on the show. Uh, the next night, Bart and Bob, Bob who are, Holly. Who yeah, are the Midnight right. Express, yeah. they face off in like the first round of this shoot fighting tournament. And Jim Cornette was like, why would you have these guys fight each other? Like, you know, the guys, it makes no sense. You've got to yeah. kill the team. And they're like, well, I suppose the team's dead then. That was it. <laughs> That's the end of the... This is the end of the NWA Invasion story. Good, right? good, good, good. That's so there the you go. The first and only time ever you have the WWF Tag Champs against the NWA Tag Champs. And it ends with such a fizzle. It ends with not a, not a cheer, but with a whimper. So there you go. We're getting up now to one of the real show stealers of the night, if that's possible. But it's Ken Shamrock versus The Rock, King of the Ring final. Not much uh, needed for the next to say in terms of build-up, because we know about the history there between these two. There's a nice... Big fight feel, a buzz storied rivalry. Definitely, it's nice when they seem like they've built a tournament around it that they they've been kept separate for so long, and Shamrock has been just mowing through everyone, and The Rock has been winning all his matches by screwy means. So now it's with these two guys yeah. finally coming head to head. It's logical because there was never a real conclusion to the Shamrock Rock storyline. You know, there wasn't. There was the whole stuff with Farouk coming in. It all got very muddy, and no one really like you said. I mean, Shamrock and Rock fought at WrestleMania. The next thing you know, there's a six man tag match going on. And yeah, really exactly. But I think that was in in essence just to keep them away a little bit so they could come back to it for the King of the Ring. And it, it's it's like they never missed a step in all this. I yeah, think totally the, worth the rivalry it. is strong enough. What is the odd thing about this match, and for me, in many ways, it's incredibly distracting because of how juvenile he is. The worst part of the match. <laughs> Triple H uh, comes out for guest commentary. Uh, why? With China. With China. Tell me why. China's come out now for the third time. She gets, three, that- she gets three checks this way. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, seriously, why? What was Triple H? Triple H won King of the Ring, 1997. He was currently, I believe, injured, so this is the way to get him... Right. Okay. Thing. And also, it seems that whoever booked this angle has a deep down desire for someone to come out in the middle of the show and make loads of insider references and in jokes at the expense of the guys in the ring. We can all remember what happened back in the Survivor Series in Montreal last year. Shamrock was a one-man band and and uh, eliminated two members of the nation, including The Rock. Now, when you say he was a one-man band, do you mean he like played his own instrument? Yeah. Because he's full of them. He's brought his he's brought his shovel. Yeah. Triple H is ready to bury everyone in commentary. I could have point out for the record, right? Triple H, he's meant to be the leader of the cool gang. DX are meant to be the cool, cool gang. He looks fucking ridiculous. When he when he comes out, I I listened back to this three times to make sure I heard it right. JR doesn't even say that he's the uh, he's the leader of Degeneration X. He says he's the leader of the nation. And here's Triple H, leader of the nation. In fairness, the way the nation's been going will make just as much of a Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now I rule the nation. Uh, now they're known as just six dudes. Because I hate the white establishment. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah, no, as I said, Triple H... Wearing his, his backwards paddy cap, which is like a, and he's got his gold chain, yeah. he's got his tight jeans with his wrestling boots, and the jeans are t- tucked in there in case he wants to go cycling later, and then he rips off his shirt, so he's a grown fucking man, <laughs> sitting on commentary with his stupid feathery Greg Valentine fluffy hair, with his backwards hat and his gold chain, he looks like an absolute uh, sex offender. Like, I've, I've always really liked Triple H. I, he's such a prick here. He looks I, like a so, Sorry, I'm, like I'm just going to stop you there. Kevin, you do realise the other man at commentary is a man wearing a cowboy hat and a man dressed <laughs> as a king. Right? I really don't think you can criticise Triple H's outfit for commentary here. Um, Jim Ross, at the start of the match, just goes, 
Look at the eyes of Ken Shamrock. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, Shamrock's still angry. Oh yeah, he's not calmed down at all. No, he, he's, you can tell both men also showing the effects of their respective matches. They don't look like they're 100%. This is actually a lot, a lot slower than I expected this match because obviously Rock and Shamrock in the past they've had very snappy, you know, yeah. aggressive matches against each other. This one has slowed down considerably because they've already wrestled once tonight. Yeah, uh, Shamrock of course as well selling the effects of the uh, bad ankle from the yeah. Double J match, which again is cool because when you got like an uncaged beast like Shamrock, it's yeah. cool to give him like a disadvantage like that. Mm. It's very easy for the Rock to get heat on him. Um, Triple H being very, very just all over the place on commentary. Here. Are, are you unplugged, Triple H? Testies, one, two, yeah, you're on. three. Yep, you're on. <laughs> in one moment, he's talking about how he should still be, he should win King of the Ring again, even though he wasn't. He got knocked out in the first round. Like it's just, yeah. And then he's taking shots at WCW. It's like slow down, focus in. He's he's like and when he has to actually do real commentary, he can't do it. There's one point where there's a, a two count, and then King says to him, "What? How close is that two count?" And then it's just silence for about ten seconds, and he goes, "Suck it." <laughs> <laughs> too too close to call. Well, no, it's not too close to call because it was a two count. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it as a two um, count. Then it cuts to China's on the uh, Spanish announcement table because I didn't know this, but China can speak Spanish. Oh, because China, she's on. She's like a spy or Carmen San Diego um, or something. And then <laughs> she's so mysterious. Where what? in the world is China? San Diego? What will she do next? Jerry asks Triple H what he thinks they're talking about, and Triple H responds with something about Taco Bell. I don't know. They want to go to Taco Bell or something. They run, want a run, burrito supreme. Run for the border. So just, just let's, let's add the racism on to that little bucket, you know, little hole and you yeah, dig into. No, that's yeah. cool, because Triple H, he says that, and he's all like thinking, yeah, I'm real cool, uh, taking shots at the Mexican population, <laughs> which is one of our key fucking demographics. Uh, and then he, uh, then he comes out of the closet to a degree. You're not bilingual? Huh? You're not bilingual? There's a lot of bi things I am, but lingual is not one of them. Hey, wait a minute. Did I just mean to say that? I don't think you did, but be that as it may, we're live. Jim Ross asks you, <laughs> Triple H, are you bilingual? And he says, I'm bi a lot of things, but lingual's not one of them. To which Jim Ross goes, do you think you meant to say that? And Triple H is like, probably not. <laughs> Jim Ross goes, needless to say, we're live. Night of the night. <laughs> Fucking hell. I love that because Jim Ross just schooled him there. Yeah, totally. It's like, you think but, you're but, cool. You've got no idea how to commentate. Yeah. yeah, Triple H, it takes him far too long to notice what he said as well. Yeah. It takes it, it takes him a good 15 seconds. He said, oh shit. You know, yeah. what, I would, you know what I would have done if I was Triple H? And this is all, all honest truth. I w if you said, do you mean to see him? I'm like, hell yeah, I meant to say that. I would have been like, you know, fuck it. I don't care what anyone yeah. thinks. I'm badass. But the fact that he straight away is like, oh no, I didn't mean to. Oh no, no, you can't think I'm gay. I'm not gay. No, he, no, no. He no. seems so insecure. Yeah. And he's, there he is sitting with his little hat on, no shirt and a gold chain going, no, no, I'm not gay, no, no, no. I have never, I have never felt so sorry for JR in this match because he sat between these two fucking idiots. <laughs> Jerry Lawler, isn't he? every five seconds, he's like, I've got two words for you, Jim Ross. Be quiet. Yeah. And then five seconds later, I've got two words for you, Jim Ross. Two count. You know, like, <laughs> stop it, please. Grow up. Don't let it distract, though. The match in the ring is really great. Yeah, it the is. The Rock is hitting these sick DDTs on Ken Shamrock out of nowhere. That's like a recurring thing. He hits two or three of them, and Shamrock is like getting the dog fuck knocked out of him. I'm going to go ahead and be a little bit controversial here and say this match didn't blow me away. Really? Um, it I was enjoyed it. Because they've already fought once tonight. I mean, obviously, Shamrock and Rock, their bad matches are still better than most people's good matches. Mm -hmm. But it was still a lot slower because they're already tired from having a match earlier on. And then, I don't know if anyone else picked up on this, but the second half of the match is literally just do a move. 
two count, do a move, two count. Literally every time one of them does a move, there's a pinfall straight yeah. out. Well, I think that's the, the, the fact is the story they're trying to tell is that both men have like nothing left in the tank. So when they do a move, they can't follow up. They're literally just trying to Well, obviously, end the, yeah, match. the commentators do make it out like that. You know, they're saying about how they're exhausted. It's taking them ages for them to stand up after each move. And yeah, that's a fair point and everything, but it's just, you know, it wasn't as I know, I think some like. of those, like, those kick-outs later, because when Shamrock, he takes that DDT so many times, and when he kicks out, like, at that last one, it's like, wow, this guy That was literally can't. a last-second uh, yeah. kick-out. Yeah. Get a, uh, another line, or well, two lines from Jerry regarding when, uh, during the DDT, when um, uh, Shamrock uh, hits his head a little bit on the mat, uh, we get, he was probably dropped on his head a lot on the streets, and then, uh, when life gives you a lemon... Throw it at somebody, which I want I like a that. T-shirt. I, I like that. <laughs> Throw it at somebody. <laughs> he got dropped on his head a lot on the streets. It's just like again, just uh, own heart going around the streets. <laughs> a lot of shitty hurricane runners on the streets there, you know. Um, but yeah, no, as you said, though, Adam, it's it's quite obvious we're going to just move pin, yeah. move pin. Uh, we do get some big power moves though. Ken Shamrock starts making his comeback. He used yeah, to his fisherman wind suplex. Is great. I yeah, love it. Mm. He, he did. It was amazing that as tired as they were, he was able to pull out like Northern Lights suplex, Fisherman suplex. These yeah. are like big, big moves, a lot of power. And Shamrock finally gets in the anchor lock. So there you go. Ken Shamrock taps out the rock and your king of the ring is Ken Shamrock. And good Lord. He's screaming like a girl. Look at him. Rocky Maivia is screaming like a broad. I genuinely wasn't expecting Shamrock to win. No? Really? But, but I, I guess that's because I don't know this uh, as much about this era. Um, I've always assumed that The Rock's this big, huge No, that's true. Guy. Everyone and thought so it would be The Rock. Yeah. I thought it was going to be The Rock who would win. Because like, at this point, I'm pretty sure they knew The Rock was going to... The Rock turns face very short after mm. this. They knew The Rock was going to be the, the next big the guy. Next, the next face. So a lot of people, yeah, they were assuming, oh, Rock's obviously going to win this one. So... Shamrock didn't do a lot with the King of the Ring title, but he wasn't positioned to do a lot with the King of the Ring title. It didn't mean a lot anymore, unfortunately. I'd say it's less about the King of the Ring title and more about the fact that this was the perfect conclusion to this story. It was the perfect ending. It was a nice moment. So it didn't really... He didn't get elevated up the card that much, but we'll see that more as we go along. Hmm. But again, this wasn't... I don't think it's because Ken Shamrock wasn't the right guy. It was just that... They no longer viewed the King of the Ring winner as being, oh, he's the next guy. Yeah. You know? It's like the way the Intercontinental belt used to be, oh, he's the next guy. Yeah. Now the Intercontinental belt is... It's a separate division. He's the next guy to lose to Randy Orton on main events. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, okay, here we go. This is is it now. This is the match that, you know, everyone wants to talk about. I have not written notes for this match because I've seen it so many times and I just wanted to watch it on my own for the first time in maybe, geez, nearly 10 years because I always show this match to people. It's Hell in the Cell, it's Undertaker versus Mankind. That's a steel chair that Mankind is oh using. Gosh. Look at this, it broke through. It broke through. Well, that's a lot of weight. There's over there's two, three hundred pounders up there. They're destroying the, the Hell in the Cell. And my God, don't get them over here where we are. What's going to happen here? Undertaker fighting back. He's fighting back. They're right above us, folks. And I don't like it a damn bit. 
Oh my God. I'm just going out of the way straight straight away and say this is, I think, possibly one of, if not the best WWF matches ever. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I'm going to say to an extent, I actually don't think we can talk about this for too long because it's it's so famous and it's so well covered. I mean, here's here's another thing I'll say straight away. The reason why I think a lot of commentary on this will be, you know, almost in vain is that Mick Foley has written so extensively and so eloquently yeah. about it in his books. He he says everything he could possibly. We want can't to do know. it justice. Not really, no. And I mean, it's 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 incredible. And I think you know, obviously, you've got the matches is, is in many people's eyes. It's about the two big spots: the fall off the cage, which was planned, and the fall through the cage, which some people say some people say it was planned. But for me to say that this match is about two big stunts, and to say, oh, if you take that away, it's not a great match. That's that's not fair. That cheapens it. That's like saying, oh, Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. If you take away the Tombstone pile driver and the kick out, it's you know, it's yeah. it's part of the match. And this match is a it's a beautiful fucking story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every, every, everybody is on top form after the after he uh, gets pushed off the top of the cage and falls down. Everyone around is convincing. Jerry is convincing. Jr. is convincing. Terry, Terry Funk. Funk. Vince Terry Funk is perfect. Yeah. Everyone is perfect and and sells what has just happened perfectly. And I've seen this match a couple of times before. This is this is probably one of the first matches that we've done on this podcast, which mm. I've seen a great deal of times yeah, because yeah. I'm a huge Mick Foley fan. Um, but everything about that match, everyone sells it. Everything is perfect. Yeah, you made a good definitely. point there about Jerry. Everyone always talks about JR, you know, about how real his commentary was and everything. But I've never really noticed it until watching it this time around that this is actually like one of the few moments where Jerry the King Lawler he just breaks it. He shuts the fuck the, up. Yeah. You know, he just breaks character completely. He's like that says a lot about it, I think, is that Jerry's not, you know, making his little quips and stuff like that. I I mean I, I think it's what can he I mean, Mick Foley was never the same after this. I mean it's it's like I think there was an edge probable once before when he was about to go into hell in the cell and he said, I saw you walk before this match and I've seen you try to walk after this match and Definitely, when you compare Mick Foley like circa 1997, when he would have, say, the, the Mind Games match with Shawn Michaels, the pace that Mick Foley sets after this, he's not the same wrestler in many respects because no. the injuries he got in this. I mean, people say, oh, it was planned. Yes, it was planned, but he still got very he hurt. He fell off the top of a cage. He fell off as perfectly as he could have hoped to have fallen off, to be honest. Yeah. And he still, the, the list of injuries he got internally, it, he was a complete mess. So, I mean, I like it, the, the amount of credit he deserves, because it was said in a Foley's documentary recently, before this, he had been Mankind, he turned to Dude Love, then to Cactus Jack, then back to Mankind, then to Dude Love, then to Mick Foley, and then to Mankind again. So, he, in his mind, he was thinking, I'm pretty much, I've wasted a lot of my good will with the fans here. Yeah. And here's the thing, you know, Kane was the big was the big heel, Austin was the champion, and Undertaker was the number two guy. Foley was very much the odd man out in that group, that big four. 
So going into this match, he had to do this, yeah. I think. To secure yeah. himself as a main eventer, the, he had to do this. The thing I hate the most about this match, and there is one thing I do hate about this match, is the crowd. Um, because it's something that, he, that, again, that I completely agreed with um, Mick when we were watching For All Mankind. But he, he said the exact same thing, but not about this match, about another match. Was that the crowd do not give Foley anything and I think he well no obviously, obviously as he's a, he's a, as he's the heel you know he's not supposed to get that stuff but all throughout it you know nobody's saying chanting Foley and I would have thought people would be chanting Foley well, throughout but thing. just shouting here's the thing I mean they I mean like you have to be a smart fan to be like kind of, oh you know that's Mick Foley blah, 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 whatever I mean he does get a Foley chant when he's been come away on the stretcher and he does get a pop when he gets off the stretcher and it's it's small, but giving what not just a he was a very bad he he was, a, he was an evil guy as a mm-hmm. heel, but he was also so you know antisocial and impersonal as a bad guy. He, he, I mean, there was no way that people were going to cheer for him because he was just meant to be such a weirdo and such yeah. not a not a guy to cheer for. But he does get that foley chant though, and it's very small. And it's from a very small portion of the audience. But I think this was obviously the beginning of his of his face turn, obviously, because yeah. it becomes. It, it's it's a very strange story. It's not your typical double turn where like you'd think Undertaker becomes the heel after this and Foley becomes the good guy. Taker is still the good guy and Foley is yeah. still the bad guy when the three count comes in the end. But there is an interesting dynamic at play there because you can see the start of Undertaker being too sadistic yeah. and too dark sided or whatever, and Foley getting you know, glimpses of that you know, he's a real his courage. Yeah, and, courage. Because yeah. you know when Foley comes back down, he wrestles a good ten minute match after he goes through the, yeah. the cell. If he throws him up on the other side, there's... Good God! Good God! That's it, he's dead. Will somebody stop the damn match? Enough's enough! The poor son of a... He's broken in half! And the Undertaker locks it! Enough is enough. I mean, I, I, the moment that always sticks out for me, and just after he stands up and the match restarts, and Taker just goes to punch him, and he clearly misses him, and Foley just collapses. Yeah. And you can see the blood coming out. Yeah. It's all over the place. And he still goes on. Or when he goes to pick up the the stairs, and he can't do it because well, his shoulder's his, separate. Like, he's, he, like he said before in uh, the uh, Mick Foley hit, Greatest Hits and Misses uh, compilation, where he says, you can see how out of it he is when he wakes up and sees Terry Funk's shoes. <laughs> yeah, that's like, a weird You can one, see yeah. in his eyes, he has no clue where he is or what he's doing and mm. has to quickly, in about 10 seconds, just get his bearings and continue for the sake of the show. And to go through tax after everything. Yeah, yeah after all that. My God, I've never, ever seen anything like this. He Now, I saw you mentioned it earlier, and it's just something I picked up on recently. I did a little bit of research for this. The second fall, the fall through the cage. Uh, Foley has always stated, and the, the, the official line has stated, that he wasn't meant to go through, and that they had hoped that the, the cage would, would tear, basically. Right. And, you know, that the choke slam 
him going all the way through was not planned. Right. Now, there is a group of people out there online who are convinced uh, that it was planned. So I was wondering what you guys think. Because, I mean, I've heard some, some things from some different sources that I find quite interesting. I mean, do you think it was I'm, planned? I'm inclined to believe what Mick Foley says. If, if, if I, 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 it doesn't strike me as something... He, He's always very open about what he's he a does. very honest man. He's very honest, and he, he does say, you know, if stuff was planned or stuff wasn't. And, Quite yeah. simply, the reason I think it wasn't planned is just because the throw from the top of the uh, the cage, he had the table to break his fall. Now these like these are the uh, late nineties WWF mats. Oh, these oh, rings yeah. are basically like concrete. They're so stiff. If it was planned, there must have been some sort of, you know, measure. Well, you know, there would have been something to break his fall, I think. Like when he went through in the, the Hell and Cell with Triple H, you mean? Because in that one... Yeah, exactly. The, the ring collapsed. Yeah. The ring collapsed yeah. and he actually went through the ring. So, you know, it broke his fall. But at this one, he just landed straight on his back on the hard mat. Well, he, well it was I, a chair, but a chair landed first and hit him in the face. There's yeah. two things which people point out to say how it, why it was planned. One was that he, could, he didn't go up at all for the choke slam. That's what one. one. I'm, I, by the way, I'm not. I'm, I believe it was. It wasn't planned. I'm not what mm. these people think it was planned. But this is just what these people say. Uh, which is the choke slam. He went. He barely gets off his feet. Yeah. Which leads people to think that because he knew if he went, he knew higher, what was coming. He would do. Now there's other people who claim that you can see cable ties going through, meaning that they knew this section was going to break away. Now I've I've looked. And I can't see them. It'd be very, very interesting to know you know, on Facebook or Twitter if anyone has got a screen cap of that. Now, I don't I, know. I actually really couldn't care less. To be, to be totally 100% honest, I really don't want to know if it was planned or not. You know, there's, there's certain things about wrestling. You can analyse all the magic and how they do things, you know, mm. what all this and everything is. But at the end of the day, there's certain magic tricks you don't want to know the answer to and stuff. And Well, I'll leave it then finally on this. This is the last bit of this conspiracy theory or whatever. Uh, I think it was before one of the recent uh, Hell in a Cell pay-per-views and Dave Meltzer from The Observer did a preview and he said what the plan was and this is a nice way I think to, to maybe satisfy both parties was that it was planned however what was planned was that he was going to hit it it was going to open up and then he was going to roll through and fall off along the cage like right. that right okay so it wouldn't have been a direct fall so in sense that yes this cage was meant to fall away but he was not meant to go through like that and I think that might be it if Possibly. Who knows? If, if we'll anything, know. I could imagine it could be that. Yeah. The one thing we can guarantee is that Mick Foley did not plan to go through like that with a chair landing on his head. Yeah. That was not what was planned. And I think the injuries are very real afterwards. Yeah. Maybe that was planned. So, I mean, I've just, yeah, we've gushed or whatever there. I mean, but I mean, what? even in Foley's latest DVD, he's kind of like, you know, what can I say that hasn't been said? So, I mean, you know. <laughs> to be totally honest, the bit where Foley gets off the stretcher and then climbs back up the cage again, I think is my favourite moment. Of I, I get yeah. legit goosebumps yeah. Yeah. every When he gets back There's, up again, it's insane. That, that is one thing I do notice is the pop. There, oh, is, yeah. there is a pop Definitely. there. When he, he gets up and starts walking towards the cage, the, the crowd go mental. Well, it's because it's the last thing you expect. Yeah. It's it's amazing. It's kind of it really blurred the lines of, you know, at what point does wrestling stop being fake, and at what point are you witnessing a man literally killing himself? Folks, in 25 years, I have never witnessed anything that even closely resembles what we have just witnessed. This was the most unbelievable. I'm going to say that nothing anywhere in any other federation, I'm telling you, bar none, has ever come close to this. These two men gave you 
everything in their body. They gave you of their soul here tonight. These two WWF superstars. And these people are standing and cheering for the effort, for the desire, for what they have just seen from two phenomenal athletes. We gotta get some medical attention in here. Look at the Undertaker standing there and those tacks are sticking out of his arms as well. This has been the most ungodly match that I think we will perhaps ever see. It, it's it's a tough one to watch and it's for me I always find it odd that people are like oh if you're gonna get your mates into wrestling show them this match I'm like this is not the first match someone no, interesting it's a little depressing. I don't think it's a little depressing and I don't think you can appreciate what is happening here and how not you probably get really this well is. that sort of fake argument regarding it they, they don't they, they you then need to explain the whole context of it then the whole aftermath what happened yeah with me you know? but i will say a uh, final word in this match is that if you have only seen the the bumps the big spots you are missing out on one of the most captivating wrestling matches definitely yet. watch the entire match watch Absolutely. it in its complete entirety it's not that long it's it's only about 11 uh, 11 12, 12 minutes, minutes yeah, yeah. But it's it's captivating, absolutely captivating. Anyway, enough has been said about that because well, enough is enough, and it's time for the chain. <laughs> yeah, and in much in the way that I didn't envy these guys about following this match, I don't envy us about trying to follow that and talking about the World Heavyweight Championship match. It's Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Kane. First blood. If Kane wins, he's the champion. If Kane loses, he will set himself on fire. What a stipulation. Kane challenges you, Austin, to a match in which, clearly, the winner will be the man who draws first blood on his opponent. What does he mean? To Kane, I say this. I'll accept any kind of match you want to throw a Stone Cold Steve Austin. Sit down and watch you burn all day long. He'll do it. And if you start to go out, you can rest assured that old Stone Cold will be right there to throw another log on the fire. A first blood match. I've bled before. I ain't afraid to bleed again. This game is your destiny. But when you put this son of a bitch on the line, it means your big dead ass belongs to Stone Cold Steve Austin. What a stipulation. First things first, I know everyone who's ever seen this match will always say it because it's such an obvious comment to make, but it has to be made. Kane has one hand exposed. Kane has literally his little left hand is the only thing of his that can possibly bleed. This is Kane with the new two sleeves. He's got two sleeves now, so all he has is his but left they hand. Make, they make reference to it in the commentary as Austin well. Austin is practically naked by comparison. Yeah. Like, it, I know you have like the, the heel tactics of you know having the deck stacked in the heel's favour or whatever, but I always found that too screwy as a kid that Kane's wearing a big red outfit with only one hand exposed. But I mean, I was very much... The reason why I always liked this as, as a kid was that 
the month previous with Over the Edge, and like McMahon was the guest referee, and the Patterson Briscoe were the, were the timekeeper and answer whatever. Even then, I was like, well, there's no way Austin can win, and he he won anyway. So yeah. I was thinking, as a kid at the time, I'm like, well, Austin is going to win. It's just how he is going to win. I knew, I even though it seemed impossible, but I was like, it seemed yeah. impossible before, and I was convinced right. as a kid. It's like you know they like, hustled you basically. They did because I mean it's like, it's like they always say if you uh, if you've got a scene in a movie with a gun, someone has to fire it. It kind of thing. Yeah. And if someone says he's going to set himself on fire and there's gas canisters everywhere, and you just <laughs> had an inferno match in recent memory. Yeah. I was convinced they were going to do a segment where Kane was going to set himself on fire. Didn't come to pass, obviously. No. Um, it's a weird match in the sense that Austin is obviously not working 100%. He's got a very bad staff infection. Hence why he's got like a small child wrapped up in his yeah. elbow. <laughs> staff infections being the bane of wrestlers during the 90s. Um, there's a particularly gruesome story of Undertaker getting one and squeezing it to... Because uh, you have to get rid of all the goo, basically. And like a hot jet of pus going a foot across the locker room. Uh, it's uh. nasty, nasty stuff. Um, but the pain apparently from that because you get a fever it like it scores throughout your body so Austin was like working again greatly disadvantaged yeah. good lord he has had some bad luck hasn't he yeah I know it's true I mean I like this match I think it's a good brawl it's, Kane's a little bit kind of out of his element in the fact that he's not wrestling The Undertaker and he's not you know just completely whooping someone's ass so this is the first time that Kane the character is being road tested out of the safety zone mm. and I think he does a very good job here oh yeah definitely I'd agree yeah. and the crowd I mean obviously top that you know what, yeah. what are they going to do how can you follow the last match it was yeah I, I do like this match it is entertaining but essentially it is just a 20 minute brawl first of, ever know. first blood match in WWF as well oh really yeah there seems to be a, a big example of uh, mass uh, discommunication between the audience and about what this match really is because the commentary they keep telling us if there's a bloody nose if someone has a little cut yeah, on the eye gonna... it doesn't count yeah. and there's a point where Austin has got a little cut on his back mm. which wouldn't count the audience don't know that so there's some members of the audience screaming at the referee <laughs> to look at Austin's back <laughs> And like, I think it, it would have been better if they told them that to begin with. Have the ring announced It's just say confusing. It Given the amount of times guys, guys get, you know, cut right. accidentally. Yeah. And Austin's, you know, he's by his own admission very stiff. The old first blood match was a bit of a gamble yeah. at times. Could like, have been over in five minutes. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of uh, being quite dodgy here. Now, what is spectacular about this match is the fact that mankind comes yeah, out. Yeah, I know. I, I've Seriously. never seen this match before. So when I was just watching it after what after the Hell in a Cell, I, I nearly stood. I say I nearly stood up. I can't stand up because of my leg. But I, <laughs> I tried to stand up and fell on the floor because I was just I was so impressed that Mick, Mick was coming out. Do you again. know where he was the next day? Where Raw didn't go. Hot. Good he, God! He was in Raw the next night. Really? No, because everyone I think that oh this guy's going to take you know four or five months off. <laughs> yeah. Next night in Raw, there he was. Week after that, he had a match. What the, a next, man. the next week, actually, this is something I want to say because I was kind of very pissed off about this. The next night on Raw, they didn't even mention it. Really? They didn't even mention it. Mankind was just in a backstage segment. And the week after, maybe because there had been a bit of backlash, they did this really cool segment where Vince and Mick were in the ring together. And he was like, I appreciate so much what you did and, you know, all the sacrifice you took. This was like, obviously, as a heel. Yeah. And you could see, like, Mankind had like, this enamored look in his eyes that he had finally made Vince proud but the fact that it took him two weeks to actually even make knowledge yeah. of that yeah. should have I mean, been the next him night. running out here in the main event and I have the, the 
the the video which has the dark match bit afterwards and like after the pay-per-view was over he came out again and got yeah, he got yeah, stood in the crowd all I happy. saw that in uh, my copy of what I was watching did they not know that he had just killed himself pretty much oh. yeah it, that's ludicrous. that was shocking Unreli- I did not expect him to come back out again after all that. But you can imagine me because when I watched the fir- the first week after, I'm like, they didn't. I was like about to be convinced that they didn't mention it at all. Like, but you yeah. know, they did finally in the end. But anyway, Undertaker runs in okay. in his pajamas for some reason. Undertaker in a black t shirt, yeah, looking looking a la- bit laid back. Like, and this is the start of the thing now where they're about to say Arcane and the Undertaker in cahoots. Mm. This is yeah. the start of this thing that. They've joined forces against Austin, and it's going to get very fucking confusing in the next few episodes, guys, because yeah, the writers yeah, yeah. don't seem to know if they're in cahoots or not, because yeah. they change their mind about this a lot. Well, from this moment, from what I can tell, is that Undertaker and Kane aren't. Because it looks like Undertaker... Undertaker goes for Kane and misses and hits Hits Austin, Austin with a chair. Austin has a chair and, it, and in my mind, it's clearly that. I know. It is obvious, right? But again... But the, obviously... The, if subject the to change. Hey, right, we got to get to SummerSlam some way, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Austin comes up wearing the proverbial crimson mask. After having bladed quite obviously in yes. the middle of the ring. Um, he's just scratching his forehead a little bit after that <laughs> shot. And of course, Earl Hebner, who had been doused in gasoline to be woken up by The Undertaker, makes the call that Austin has... Yeah, I don't get that. Undertaker just covers him in gas. Why? you got a gas can, you got to use it, mate. Yeah, Wait, wake up, set him on fire. Then. No, Undertaker's meant to be a face at this point, right? Yeah. He yeah, maybe he knows that Earl Hebner's going to be selling merchandise in the future. And, you know, <laughs> he's not allowed. He's like, going to be a scumbag. He- if you want to like, steal our clothes, I'm going to steal yours by setting him on fire. Hebner's like, don't, don't get gas all over my shirt. I'm going to hock it in the parking lot for five dollars and some nuts. <laughs> Fucking dirtbags. Greedy bastard. There you go. Kane wins the championship. And like a true champion, he's completely knocked down. Can't even... You know, yeah. recognize that he's champion. Next night on Raw, Austin and Kane have one of the best matches in Raw history where Austin wins the belt back. And this is the first instance, and happens several times now, where we've got the main event of a big show at the Attitude Era that is simply setting up for the final segment on Monday Night Raw the next mm. night. Because they know now the money and the advertising from the ratings on TV is more important than pay-per-view, sales. pay-per-view buys. Yeah. And I'm not entirely sure I, I agree with that, you know. Kane winning the belt for 24 hours. We might as well discuss this now, Adam. I mean, you're a big Kane, Mark. I, I remember I've seen the Raw, I've seen parts of the Raw anyway, where um, Kane is champion, and just seeing Kane with the belt around him, I was so fucking enamoured with that image, because like, obviously I loved Kane, and seeing him as champion was so fucking cool and so badass. And as much as I loved Steve Austin, I remember as a kid I was very sad that Kane only had it for a day, because, you know, mm. it felt kind of disrespectful. That match is... A bit of a swerve. Well, no, I've never seen the match last no, I That's definitely... We'll post that up on a, on on our on our accounts and whatnot. That's an absolute burn burner. But yeah, I mean, it was I suppose again example of Russo booking hot shot in these angles. You know, making it unpredictable. Kane's the champion. What better watch Raw? That kind of thing. You know. Well, unpredictable it was definitely. But looking back, maybe it didn't do Kane any favors to be known as because he was the only guy who had the belt for twenty four hours, and that was for like ten years. You know, mm-hmm. he seemed this is before Money in the Bank, like. It did make Kane seem like he had this albatross around his neck. I think it hurt the character yeah. quite a bit. But there we go. That is it. King of the Ring 1998. Gonna ask you guys now. Match of the night. <laughs> MVP. All right. Well, I'm going to say my name. Match of the night. Hell in a Cell. MVP. Mankind. Does anyone disagree with that? Nope. No. Yeah, that's no. it. Good night. Thanks for listening. Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> it, 
give a special mention, I think, to JR, just with all the shit he's had to call. <laughs> my match of the night were the Hell in a Cell not at this pay-per-view my match of the night would probably be Shamrock versus Double J just because I, moment, I yeah. can't express how much I love uh, that if, guy if, 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 if Hell in a Cell is obviously my favourite but I think if I was to say not that I'd possibly say the first match the yeah the kind of that was always great definitely yeah I suppose if I was to not say the Hell in a Cell I'll probably go for Rock Shamrock because I mean as it is a slow match but I love the story they tell there it's really great old conclusion. school and a great conclusion to an angle you know yeah. see the rock finally get you know put in his place but saying that it is definitely Hell in the Cell uh, undoubtedly undoubtedly, <laughs> undoubtedly. undoubtedly. I'm actually going to go ahead and say uh, not only is this the best pay-per-view we've done so far by a long shot this might be my second pay-per-view, second favourite pay-per-view of all time, I think. Definitely, this is, I think, behind WrestleMania 17. Yeah. Oops, spoiler alert. Um. <laughs> yeah, flat out say, WrestleMania 17 is my favourite as well, and this is probably second, I Definitely. think. Definitely, and it's it's almost a shame that people only maybe know about this because of that, uh, that the two spots the in the Hell of a Cell. Because there's a whole lot of pay-per-view here, you know, yeah. and it's, it's, it's a, a It's a, a big pay-per-view, yeah, there's a few promos, Stacked. there's nine matches, it's quite a big, you know, massive Omar, one. X-Pac, Rock, Shamrock, I mean, it's good very, you get your comedy, you get your serious stuff. Really, really great show. Really great show. Nine matches and only seven kinds of interference. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still going to be my biggest gripe with the, with the uh, pay-per-view. I love it. I think it, I thought it was amazing just watching it from start to finish. Would you but say that, it's the favourite one that we've reviewed so far? It's definitely my favourite one that I've reviewed so far. That's good. In terms of interference though, Billy, uh, welcome to the Attitude Era. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you've got to get used to it, man. This is probably going to be something then that I'm going to uh, have a little word about in every week now then when we do this because I just hate it New Age Outlaws and Interference if we see a match where the New Age Outlaws interfere New Age Outlaws I can see the appeal now as them as wrestlers and them in ring I see the appeal and I get it I still hate Road Dog on the mic. <laughs> I can't tell you. Well, how if it much. makes you feel any better, Road Dog probably hated himself a lot at this point. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, t- I can take some comfort in that, then I guess. Well, there you go. That was King of the Ring, nineteen ninety-eight. One of the big ones. The next pay-per-view, not so much of a big one. Uh, it's actually forgotten the name. What? <laughs> I, I, what think, I think it's Breakdown. Um, well, I've, I've no idea. It's literally. I mean. It's a nothing pay-per-view. Is it in your house? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. it's, 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 it's in the chronology, but, you know, what can you say? We'll figure out what pay-per-view we're doing next at a later yeah, date, I guess. Hey, in the meantime, you can, of course, as always, subscribe to us on iTunes. You want to go to uh, iTunes, search for Attitude Era Podcast. We'll be there. And uh, you can always leave us a rating or review. It's a great way to help us out. And, of course, as always, be sure to follow us on Twitter. It's at AE Podcast. We do things like live tweeting Monday Night Raw and whatnot. And a great place as well to keep in touch with us is on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Attitude Era podcast, where we post up pictures, goofs, videos, all kinds of Attitude Era related trivia, so be sure to uh, check that out as well. But for now, I think it's a goodbye from me. Yes, goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thanks for listening. May God have mercy on our souls. (laughs) What's the name of the pay-per-view? What's up, dog? Wasn't exactly what you'd call a stem wander down there in Muskogee, but...